Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on innovative CRISPR-based editing to create off-the-shelf immune cell therapies for hematologic and solid tumors from the 2022 Immuno-Oncology 360 Summit. For more information about the Immuno-Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Uh, That's a hard introduction to follow. It's a real pleasure to be able to speak with all of you today. Um, In the next 20 to 25 minutes, I'm going to try to share with you some of my tremendous enthusiasm for the current state, and perhaps even more importantly, the future state of cell therapies for the IO space. Um, Of course, I need to initially pause and mention that this presentation will include forward-looking information. There is absolutely no way I can today do justice to the incredible history that has brought us to where we are today, but I do want to at least acknowledge that there is just an incredible amount of work that has been done over the past 70 plus years, each piece of which has built to where we stand today. It's really incredible to think that the first bone marrow transplants in humans were carried out in the 1950s, and clearly this has underpinned ultimately what we understand as the cell therapy field today. It has taken multiple generations of work to really stitch together the underlying technologies that have recently led to the incredible approval of six distinct autologous CAR-Ts for two different kinds of classes of heme malignancies. And importantly, I want to highlight that several groups have estimated there are more than 500 CAR-T therapies in clinical development today, which I think gives you the sense for just the incredible wave of work that is being done, both preclinically and clinically, to really continue driving this field forward. However, I wouldn't be here today if there weren't a number of potential challenges that we still need to address as a field to really meaningfully unlock the broader potential of cell therapies across a wide variety of cancer indications. I think quite obviously, autologous therapies are not going to be the solution for all patients. This is a topic I'll, I'll really dig into in detail today. But clearly there are a number of other challenges, many of which are shared with other modalities as well. For example, um, clearly there is the potential for antigen loss or modulation that ultimately leads to relapse. As we've heard already in some of the discussions yesterday, along with the incredible activity of CAR-Ts and other cell therapies, we often see challenging toxicities that need to be appropriately managed as well. And again, as we heard yesterday, the uh, incredible progress that's been made in the heme setting has yet to be seen in the solid tumor setting. And I see this as a real call to action for the cell therapy field. So I'd like to spend some time today talking through how the next generation of cell therapies can potentially address some of these different challenges. Uh, Clearly amongst them is the opportunity to go off the shelf or allogeneic. And I'll dig into some specific examples here. Critical, I think, to all of this work though, is being able to deploy genome editing in order to engineer these cells in a variety of ways to address a multiplicity of these different challenges. Clearly, there's a tremendous amount of work being done, not only for cell therapies, but much more broadly as well, to identify appropriate targets and targeting moieties. And people are even, of course, beginning to think about combinations of targeting moieties as well. 
And finally, I'll wrap up today really starting to think about how to broaden the toolbox. And clearly, we heard about some of this last night during the debate as well. It's probably not just about T cells. How can we more appropriately really build the stable of immune cells that can be deployed for different kinds of cell therapy applications? So I'll start with the field as it stands today with autologous cell therapies. And I have to begin by saying it is nigh on miraculous, the activity that has been seen with these cell therapies. And I think that demonstrates just the incredible power of the immune system. And again, as a call to action to figure out how to more broadly harness this for a larger patient population. I think it's clear that there are a number of challenges for today's autologous CAR-T therapies. For example, as we heard about yesterday, quite long vein-to-vein times, meaning it takes a long time to manufacture a batch of therapy for an individual patient. Clearly, not all patients are eligible, and typically this manufacturing results in a single dose, and there are no doubt going to be some applications where multi-dosing will be more attractive. As patients wait for their therapy, they have to undergo bridging therapy typically, and this is very challenging for many of them. And of course, all of this manufacturing complexity leads to very high costs. I also want to highlight the issue of variable potency. Keep in mind that these patients have been subject to months, if not years, of genotoxic and cytotoxic reagents. And then we're trying to take their T cells and manufacture a product out of them. And clearly, they're highly variable in terms of their quality at that point in time. So I hope a number of these are obvious motivators for really thinking about how to drive the field forward to an allogeneic or off-the-shelf strategy. The theory here, of course, is, is quite simple, that by taking healthy donor material, you can manufacture what is necessary ahead of time. It's then sitting in the freezer and ready for patients so they don't have to wait. It is much more broadly available to a larger pool of patients, and no bridging therapy is required. Clearly, this can meaningfully address some of the complexity and cost challenges, and also means we have the ability to start with healthy donor T cells to address some of the issues of the underlying potency issues. However, I want to highlight for you that I don't think it's as simple as just taking a healthy donor T cell and adding a CAR. And of course, the reason I say that is that allocar Ts are foreign, and that presents a number of obvious challenges. The first relates directly to safety. Of course, if you take a T cell from one individual and give it to another individual, you're almost certainly going to cause graft-versus-host disease. So this is clearly an area where genome editing is critical in order to prevent that from happening. But we have to think about the other side of that immune equation as well. These allocartes are foreign to the patient's immune system and therefore rapidly rejected. That's quite different from the autologous CAR-Ts, where we have seen that a single dose can persist sometimes for years after delivery. And both of these, we believe, need to be contended with. I also want to highlight a a second general class of, of issues here as well, which relates to the immune environment of the tumor or the tumor itself. Typically, tumors or their environment express a variety of checkpoints, and this can quickly lead to the exhaustion and downregulation of the cell therapy, rendering it uh, with no longer having anti-tumor activity. We believe this needs to be addressed for successful cell therapies as well. And so what I'd like to do is take a few minutes to share with you how my team and I at Caribou Bio are using our next generation CRISPR technology, which we call the Chardonnay technology, to address each of these issues in our pipeline programs. So first off, what is the Chardonnay technology? 
So I'll dig into what it is in just a moment, but I want to explain where it comes from first. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with CRISPR-mediated genome editing. It's, of course, typically a CRISPR enzyme targeted by an all-RNA molecule, a so-called guide RNA, to the correct site in the genome. Now, this typically results in incredibly efficient genome editing, which is great, but also, unfortunately, quite a lot of uh, off-target editing, or what we would call low-specificity editing, which can be quite problematic. Our team really wanted to focus on developing a more specific technology, and we've done so by developing new guides. Rather than using all RNA molecules, we instead use hybrid molecules that are part DNA, part RNA. We call this technology the CRISPR hybrid RNA-DNA, or Chardonnay for short. And I'll show you today that the inclusion of DNA in these guides dramatically improves the specificity of genome editing. So why does this matter? If you think about it, what you really want to do is to edit the one site or maybe the few sites that you intend and avoid off-target consequences elsewhere. Off-target consequences could mean that you're manipulating other genes in the cell that have negative impact on its function or anti-tumor activity, or could lead to genome rearrangements or translocations, which could be problematic. So I'd like to share with you a little bit of data demonstrating how we're solving for this using the Chardonnay technology, and in this particular case, pairing it with a CRISPR enzyme called Cas12a. So what you're looking at here is knocking out a gene in human primary T cells using either an all-RNA guide or a Chardonnay guides. So we're, we're actually editing the exact same site in the genome. It's just one guide type or the other. You can see that both guides yield very efficient gene knockout. However, the all-RNA guide also yields quite robust off-target editing. And by comparison, when we use the Chardonnay guides instead, we observe no off-target editing down to the limit of detection. And so fundamentally, this means if you're using an all-RNA guide in this circumstance, some of your edited T cells have the desired edits, and some have undesired edits. Whereas by using the Chardonnay system, we can largely bias the edited cells to be the desired outcome. Now, gene knockout is one piece of the puzzle. I want to importantly highlight that gene insertion is the other. For those of you who've worked in the genome editing field, you know that high-efficiency gene insertion has been an absolute bottleneck for years. And so our team has gotten very excited about the Cas12a protein in particular in combination with Chardonnay guides. It mediates far higher gene insertion efficiencies than we've seen with any other technology platform before. In fact, we can typically routinely achieve 60 to 80 plus percent gene insertion rates in human primary T cells. This is really important because if we're going to tackle so many of the challenges that I've outlined for really addressing functional allogeneic CAR-Ts or other cell therapies, we're going to need to introduce multiple edits and typically multiple genes as part of that process. And so the Cas12a Chardonnay technology actually allows us to do multiplex gene insertion. And I'm showing just a little bit of example data here from this. These data are from a program that we call CB11. This is a preclinical anti-BCMA allogeneic CAR-T for multiple myeloma. And we'll be filing the IND for this program this year. 
to manufacture this program, we actually have to carry out four genome edits, two knockouts and two separate site-specific insertions. We can do all of these at such high efficiency that by the time we're done manufacturing a batch of T cells, in this case, 56% of all of the cells have all four of those edits, really unlocking this opportunity to be quite sophisticated as we begin addressing more and more of these challenges in the cell therapy setting. And so to summarize, the Chardonnay technology was developed really with a focus on specificity and efficiency. It therefore facilitates this quite robust, sophisticated multiplexing. And I want to highlight that it's broadly applicable across a wide variety of cell types. I'll be mostly focused on T cells today. Um, and it's readily manufacturable using available GMP technologies. So how do we use this to tackle some of the challenges that I've highlighted today? And I'll start initially with these questions of persistence and share with you two different strategies that we are deploying in our, in our programs here at Caribou. The first is checkpoint disruption. Now, PD-1 is clearly a protein incredibly well known in this community. I know I don't have to explain to you what it is. And our focus at Caribou has to be to use our genome editing to knock out PD-1 from the CAR-T genome. The purpose is to really take the brakes off the CAR-T product itself in order to prevent that premature CAR-T exhaustion and to maintain these CAR-T cells in a high anti-tumor activity state for a longer period of time. I'll share with you some in vivo data today demonstrating that CAR-Ts with a PD-1 knockout lead to a profound increase in overall survival in our models. Another approach that we're deploying through our genome editing to address persistence is an immune cloaking strategy. Here instead, we're looking to really directly address this issue of rapid immune-mediated rejection. And we use two edits to achieve this. We get rid of all of the endogenous HLA class one presentation, and then we further engineer the cells so that they only present HLA-E, one of the minor antigens on their surface. And the purpose of this is to prevent both the patient's T cells and the patient's natural killer cells from rapidly rejecting the therapy. To the best of my knowledge, our team is the first to put an allogeneic CAR-T into the clinic with a PD-1 knockout, which we did last year, and we anticipate sharing initial data from that study this year, and I believe we'll be the first to use this immune cloaking strategy in the clinic as well. So putting this all together to give you a sense for how we're investing in these technologies to develop new therapies, I'd like to just briefly summarize Caribou's pipeline. I've highlighted for you already a bit of the work that we're doing in the allogeneic CAR-T setting, and I'll dive into a few more uh, examples here, so I'll come back to these in a bit. But what I importantly want to highlight is that in addition to the work we're doing on allogeneic CAR-Ts, we are also advancing an allogeneic CAR-NK platform. This is our initial strategy for the solid tumor setting, and I'll come back in a few minutes to explain why. But initially, I'll share with you that our strategy here looks a little different from how we're approaching the allogeneic CAR-Ts. Whereas in the CAR-T setting, we start with healthy donor leukapheresis in order to manufacture our products. In the NK setting, we instead start with iPSCs. And here, we can carry out quite a multiplicity of genome edits and then ultimately differentiate those edited iPSCs into natural killer cells with anti-tumor potential. And in addition to the work that we're doing internally at Caribou, we're also supporting two allogeneic CAR-Ts under our collaboration with AbbVie. So I'd like to walk through each of these three challenges and some of the rationale for why we're addressing them in the way that we are. And the first is thinking about checkpoint modulation via genome editing. 
And it begins with why we even think about PD-1 in the context of CD19 positive disease in the first place. There's actually quite a lot of uh, data in the literature that motivated this work for us. Some of it I'm sharing with you here, where there's a very clear correlation between PDL1 expression on uh, DLBCL tumors with overall survival and unfortunately reduced durability after Yescarta treatment. There's also quite a lot of uh, lovely literature from academia and in vivo models looking at the importance of the PD1, PDL1 pathway uh, in these tumors in mice as well. And so this really motivated our decision to use genome editing to knock out PD-1. And I'd like to share those key preclinical data quickly with you to demonstrate why we believe this is a great strategy in this setting. So what we are looking at here is a highly metastatic model of disease in mice, where we're doing a head-to-head bake-off between CB10, our program, and what I'll call a conventional allo CD19 CAR-T. These are nearly identical CAR-Ts. The only difference is that the conventional one is PD-1 positive and CB10 is PD-1 negative. Now, long story short, if you look at the right side of the slide, you can see that CB10-treated mice live substantially longer than the conventional-treated mice. So if we look at the imaging data, we can understand why. What you see is that initially, both appear to be quite efficacious. However, the conventional-treated animals experience a rapid recurrence of their tumor burden and have all expired from recurrent disease by about day 135. In strong contrast, we see that many of the CB10-treated animals have no remaining detectable tumor burden for months after initial delivery of the single dose. And when we run this out 160 days, all but one of the CB10-treated animals are still alive. What we believe is happening here mechanistically is that the PD-1 knockout prevents that premature exhaustion and facilitates a deeper initial debulking of the tumor, which ultimately translates to this better overall survival. These data allow us to hypothesize that CB10 might have a better therapeutic index relative to other allogeneic CAR-Ts as well. So I'll shift gears now to the immune cloaking strategy as well. And as I've highlighted, this is really to get at the issue of immune-mediated rejection. So the vast majority of allogeneic CAR-Ts in development today have no changes to their HLA class 1 presentation. So they fall in this unmodified bucket, meaning as the patient's immune system rebounds post-lymphodepletion, their T cells will recognize that class 1 mismatch and result in the immune-mediated rejection of the allo CAR-T product. Now, some in the field are starting to address this issue, and they do so by knocking out a gene called beta-2 microglobulin, or beta-2M, and this wipes out all class 1 presentation from the surface of the CAR-T. Lovely solution to the T-cell side of the problem. Unfortunately, it likely creates a new set of problems because natural killer cells, part of the innate immune system, can specifically recognize what is called missing self, or the absence of class 1 presentation, and they can then have cytotoxic activity and clear the therapy. Now, as you think about the timeline of this kind of approach, this is really important. Post-lymphodepletion, it is the innate immune system, including natural killer cells, that come back first. And so it's likely that if all you do is knock out beta-2M, you actually result in the faster rejection of the therapy than if you had done nothing to it in the first place. And so that's why our team at Caribou is trying to solve both sides of the equation simultaneously, not only getting rid of all of the endogenous class 1 presentation by knocking out the endogenous beta-2M, but we then site-specifically insert a transgene that fuses beta-2M with HLA-E, a minor antigen, in order to keep the natural killer cells at bay. 
And I'll share with you just a little bit of in vitro data demonstrating that when we co-culture these different kinds of CAR-Ts with each other, we're able to nicely protect CB11 from NK-mediated killing through this decoration of HLAE on the surface. And now finally, of course, safety is paramount in this setting, and we have to focus on how to prevent causing graft-versus-host disease with an allo-CAR-T. And so the standard in the field today is to use a genome editing technology to remove the T-cell receptor. Typically, that's done by knocking out a gene called TRAC, and that leads to a quite robust outcome. And these are example data from our CB11 program, where we evaluate the CB11 cells in an immunodeficient mouse model and see no evidence of GVHD. So these are answers to some of the initial questions in the cell therapy field, but clearly there's a long laundry list of challenges if we're going to be broadly successful across a wide variety of tumor types. I think a really interesting question is to dig into the relative importance of some of these different kinds of approaches. Potentially, they could be combined. And in fact, in Caribou's third program, which we call CB12 for AML, we're looking at the potential combination of the PD-1 knockout with the immune cloaking strategy. However, I need to point out that genome editing gets ever more sophisticated in order to accomplish this. Already, CB11 requires four edits, two knockouts, two insertions. If we were to further include the PD-1 knockout as well, that's a quintuple edited allogeneic CAR-T, really putting a lot of emphasis on the efficiency and, importantly, the specificity of the underlying genome editing technology to accomplish this. There's a huge amount of work going on in the field to identify and develop new armoring strategies to enhance the activity and the potency of a wide variety of cell types. And I think a really interesting open question in the field is the role of lymphodepletion. Now, I think most feel lymphodepletion is critical, but which agents over what time and at what depth are clearly really important open questions that are being explored, explored broadly in the clinic today. And paired with that is the question of whether one and done will actually be sufficient in the off-the-shelf setting uh, or with some of these other cell types, or whether, in fact, repeat dosing will be an important component of this strategy as well. But the final topic I'd like to land on today is the call to chat, the challenge, if you will, um, of targeting solid tumors, where clearly we broadly have not seen much success yet in the cell therapy field. So I'd like to share with you why I think solid tumors are so difficult, not to say that heme malignancies are easy, they're not, but I think solid tumors present an even more difficult challenges. Um, one of the underlying difficulties, of course, is how heterogeneous they are. And so figuring out how to simply target them appropriately is quite distinct and difficult. Of course, simply getting the cells to the right place is a big part of the challenge, both trafficking to the tumor itself and then actually appropriately penetrating it. Once they make it there, they actually have to overcome the immunosuppressive tumor microenvironment and persist sufficiently long enough to have appropriate activity. And so our approach at Caribou has been to focus on natural killer cells to begin addressing a number of these different challenges. So why NKs? Um, clearly, the initial work with CAR-Ts has shown they're not going to be the easy answer. And as we think about the wide variety of challenges that need to be addressed, you start to count quite a number of different genome edits that you'd like to be able to introduce. And we felt that an iPSC start point to ultimately develop natural killer cells to take advantage of their underlying anti-tumor activity, both for primary solid tumors and for metastases, would be an ideal start point for this development. 
So our team has developed the capabilities to take iPSCs, edit them in a variety of ways, and then pick out a single cell clone that has all the attributes we desire, and then differentiate that into natural killer cells with anti-tumor potential using proprietary protocols that we've developed here at the company. So I'd like to share with you just one slide of data from this particular platform. What I'm showing you here is that we have successfully been able to develop uh, iPSC-derived NKs, or INCs, if you will, um, that have the same kind of in vitro and in vivo activity that we see from primary natural killer cells. I won't go through all the details, but they demonstrate the appropriate cell cytotoxicity uh, and elaboration of a variety of cytokines, as well as in vivo anti-tumor activity. Importantly, we see this as the start point, the, the blank canvas, if you will, to take advantage of some of these underlying capabilities of natural killer cells. And now we can begin to layer on a number of our different genome edits in order to address so many of the challenges inherent in solid tumor targeting. There are quite a lot in the field who are putting tremendous effort into figuring out ways to address a number of these. I promise not to read all of these to you on this slide, but I think you get the sense for the number of different challenges and how we might be able to stitch together different technologies through iPSC genome editing in order to meaningfully address combinations of these. And so with that, I'll wrap up here, hopefully uh, having imbued each of you with some of my enthusiasm for well, where the cell therapy field stands today and importantly, the tremendous potential going forward as we think not only about the wealth of activity today in the hematologic malignancy setting, but perhaps even more importantly, tremendous opportunities for patients with solid tumors. Thank you so much for your time. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Amino Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you.